0: Chapter 16 of The Social War of 1900, or The Conspirators and Lovers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Social War of 1900, or The Conspirators and Lovers, by Simon Landis. Chapter 16 Lucinda's Thrilling Prayer and Lamentations in Prison on the night that miss lucinda armington was abducted from the lawn of her father there were great preparations being made at a celebrated insane asylum near west philadelphia for the reception of two dangerous and incurable lunatics for one of these insane persons an underground dungeon was being rapidly finished because the physician-in-chief at the asylum was informed that this patient could not bear the light of the sun and constellations without disturbing the peace of his own and other people's minds darkness total darkness and perfect solitude were the only panaceas to quiet his nerves and cause a serene state of human conscience moreover the sound of human voice proved an injury to this most peculiarly affected lunatic therefore an immensely thick wall and correspondingly heavy laded doors were constructed for such patients which was a necessity only of very recent occurrence. In another portion of this same pious and generous orthodox insane asylum, on the third floor, was prepared an extra-private, strong, but comfortable cell for a patient who could not endure human sounds, but was benefited by light and comfort. This cell was not accessible by anyone except the highest officials and Deacon Rob Stew. The latter was the most powerful man in the entire community of the elect saints. The physician-in-chief of this humanitarian asylum was a faithful brother of the faith, who fully confided in the little secret prayers and holy plans of the bloody conspirators, and all his assistants and servants, excepting one Irishman, were equally faithful. For convenience' sake, we will call this unfaithful to the faithful Jemmy, who was a man of strong sympathies for the fallen depraved and miserable and whose honesty had no flaw in its composition jemmy was the most trustworthy servant in the asylum and the physician-in-chief invariably commanded jemmy to watch the other keepers and the help making him a kind of superintendent or overseer amongst the many employees and therefore the latter dreaded jemmy because whatever report of delinquency and disobedience he would make to the head of the place would be accepted as truth from which no appeal would benefit aught we might here state that jemmy was a bosom friend of pat o'connor and a distant relative of judy mccrae who frequently visited pat and judy at general washington armington's residence therefore he had often seen miss lucinda armington and pat on several occasions pointed out dr victor juno to jemmy as being the accepted lover of miss lucinda armington jemmy believed that their asylum was a model humanitarian institution whose physician-in-chief and the managers thereof were the best men living and although he was a roman catholic he believed that his employers were as near saints as protestants could be On numerous occasions he told Pat O'Connor that these gentlemen were very pious, being also continually devoted to acts of charity, and besides prayed and worshipped God zealously, which he, Jemmy, esteemed the highest attributes of Christianity, even if they were not Catholics. Pat, however, had less faith in such men, after he became acquainted with Deacon Rob Stew, who was the president of the insane asylum. Nearly all the leading Orthodox religionists, except the Roman Catholics, had an interest in this philanthropic asylum for the insane, and no doubt nearly all of them esteemed it a most Christian and exemplary institution. They had formed themselves into a guardianship, hence were privileged members of the asylum to visit every portion of it, except those few departments where incurable lunatics were confined, whose idiosyncrasies were of that peculiar character that human voices etc could not be endured by them to these departments no one had access except the physician-in-chief a few of the bloody conspirators and the servants few of the latter were even permitted to enter upon these sacred parts of the asylum the cells of these departments were seldom cleaned by any one except the prisoners themselves who, by a confidential announcement, we may say, were never too crazy or ill, from the onset of their incarceration, to do their own work, and these lunatics were fed through a peculiarly contrived apparatus, which prevented the waiter or keeper from seeing the patient. The basement cells were complete dungeons, where total darkness prevailed, but the third-story cells of these departments were supplied with a good degree of light. However, shutters were so constructed to the windows that total darkness could be produced in a moment, which seemed often necessary when peculiar examinations of patients were required. Many of the patients who were confined in these sacredly secret cells were females, who would not submit to certain tutorage on open terra firma, and who could be more thoroughly managed subdued and cured by total darkness shielding the disciplinarian from unpleasant recognition than by permitting the light of heaven to cooperate in the consummating of the holy work it was seldom necessary to introduce instruments of torment into this department of the asylum but solemnized religious worship prayer exhortation and singing by the saints was frequently introduced with signal success it was almost beyond the conception of mortals how peculiarly zealous some of these bloody conspirators were in the work of subjugating those whom they loved with a wicked hatred the female cells also had several secret doors to them which were an auxiliary to the work of restoring sanity to the heads and hearts of the fair sex who were victims to these sacred apartments of the elect. Miss Lucinda Armington first opened her eyes to consciousness, after appearing in her father's lawn on the night of her abduction, in one of these female cells on the third floor of this insane asylum. She could not imagine where she was, and for what purpose she would be in this unpleasant place. She rose from her neat little couch, and surveyed the tidy little apartment, which was neatly and very comfortably furnished, but withal there was an air of horror connected with the appearance of things. She examined the door, which she found was locked. Next, she examined the floor and walls, but found them solid and sound. And as to the window, she could not examine it because it was a skylight situated directly overhead, and although there was a table, chair, and bed in the room, she piled them upon each other and managed to climb on top of them but she was then a few feet too short to reach to the skylight she replaced her furniture and began to pound on the door floor and walls but all sounded dead and dull without the least response from any one next she screamed at the top of her voice but to no effect when she thought oh great heaven why am i thus confined in this living tomb can this be a prison but why should i be confined in it where was i to my last recollection let me think oh yes i remember pat o'connor judy McCrae, and myself sat in our dining-room conversing over the outrage that had happened to dear victor at the theatre and i now remember of having gone out into the lawn when suddenly something nasty was thrown over my head whilst at the same moment some strong hands grasped my body and i knew nothing more surely i was then carried to this prison oh horror horror what may what will become of me great powers of glory protect me and deliver me from my bondage who could have been so cruel as to abduct and incarcerate me thus great lord an idea flashes through my half frenzied brain it was the same bloody conspirators who tried to poison my beloved victor that have sent me to this place but what will they do with me this is horrible most horrible because any one who is bad enough to have me thus abducted and imprisoned is also vile enough to abuse me and murder me if that suits his pleasure and plans best what really have i done to merit such foul treatment let me think i have always been kind to every one i have no enemies that i know of but now it flashes upon my distressed soul i have stood by the side of dear victor i have conspired with pat and judy to save my beloved oh darling victor save save me now from the impending danger that awaits your unprotected lucinda my persecutors are monsters or they would not tear me away from my dear old father and from my dearly beloved victor god if thou ever hearest the prayers of mortals hear mine infinite and all-powerful creator i invoke thee and all thy vitalizing influences to stultify and deaden the head and hand that has brought me to this cruel place i pray thee heavenly father to shield the just and faithful whilst thou wilt confound the wicked conspirators who have sought to ruin and destroy me and mine. And, O God, look with compassion upon thy distressed servant, who would freely offer up her life, in purity and innocence, for the good of heaven's righteous cause. Moreover, I humbly pray thee, O Lord of hosts, send thy messengers of grace to guard and protect my beloved and heroic victor, whose strifes and struggles, on behalf of his race, are Herculean god grant me this humble supplication and thy name shall have all the glory for ever and ever amen a terrible noise as it were rattling of chains unbolting of gigantic doors and groans of the most horrible character now disturbed the suppliant and suddenly the door entering her cell flew open when she beheld a man in disguise standing before her she swooned away End of chapter 16